biggest problem for Australian men, women as well to some extent, is that we always have the perception that someone's got it worse than us. You're listening to the Examine Life podcast with Matt Purcell, and joining me today is a good friend of mine. His name's Chief Braybon. Now, Chief has been at the forefront of high-intensity results-based training for over 25 years. He spent a short time in the Royal Australian Army as a soldier, and Chief established the country's first boot camp fitness program, which has grown to be the longest-running program of its kind in the world. He's got a huge reputation, so he's been featured on US Fitness Magazine. GQ Magazine named Chief as one of their top 20 game changers and respected individuals like Kate Blanchett and others. What I love about Chief too is he works with his wife very closely with his programs, training up the stars of today. He and Emily are responsible for a lot of the stars' body transformation, which are featured on things like Men's Health Magazine, Women's Health Magazine. People like Guy Sebastian, Jules Sebastian, and Osher Ginsberg are just a few. It's a very interesting conversation because Chief and Emily work with high-profile, high-performing people in a world where we kind of obsess and condemn and easily judge you know, high-profile people. We discuss culture, we discuss the fitness industry, we discuss how he got into training with these types of people in society. I really enjoyed this. I really want you to go support Chief and Emily's business. One of their websites is 8weekstowow.com.au. And without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with my good friend, Chief Braybon. Guys, I'm sitting next to Chief Braybon. <laughs> and we're actually in his amazing studio and we have some big doors open up. So if you hear any, any traffic noises and stuff, you now know why. There's no bus about to ram through here. But Chief, thanks for joining us today, man. Good to see you, mate. It's good to see you too, bro. And um, you're a great guy. I'm going to tell you, like, every time I speak to you, the real, the real attractiveness I have to you is like you're very deep and you really want to help people. And people see you, um, you know, with all the work you do with working with the stars and celebrities and things like that, which is, we're going to get into that today. But I hear the heart of behind it, and I really want to get that heart out today. Tell me... I actually really want to know this. How the hell did you even get into training guys like Guy Sebastian and stuff? Because, you know, there's stacks of personal trainers out there. That's like, true. But how did, how did you fall into that? Did it fall into it? Did you, was it intentional? It like, was kind of like, so, I mean, I've been doing this uh, close to 30 years. Um, started the first boot camps in Australia when I was still in the army when I was 17 years old. Um, did all that, you know, my time in the military, got out, realised I had a passion for training people. Um, and, you know, even back then, I worked with a lot of celebrities, a lot of international celebrities um, that were visiting Australia. So if they were here on tour, particularly with musicians, um, I trained them during the period that they were here. And just kind of built a reputation for not treating them any different. Like, so... Mm. Uh, a great example being one particular client, um, I get told, oh, he's going to be on the tennis court in the morning, he just wants you to hit the ball with him. I'm like, okay, so I go out there, and I'm sort of hitting the ball, and then I'm realising, okay, well, I'm just going to hit it that way, then I'm going to hit it that way, and make him run, and make him run. And someone like VIP um, carer came running out going, you can't do that, you've got to hit the ball to him. I'm going, but I'm the fitness trainer, so I need to get him fit, I need to move. So, And because of that, he turned up the next day and the next day and he literally said to me, and we ended up becoming very good friends, saying, um, you know, no one has ever treated me like that. Everyone's always been afraid to push me or, you know, yeah. step outside the box. Yep. And that's a very important part of what we do with anybody, um, and in particular people with a profile, is we are going to make them uncomfortable. Like, you don't get these results without working hard. There's no secret to it in regards to magic pill or, you know, it's just science and hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we treated them with kick gloves or if we treated them like we we're providing a service, then the respect that we need from them to get them to work that hard wouldn't be there. Yeah. Whereas the way we approach it is, they're coming to us because we're experts at what we do, just like you go to a physiotherapist or a surgeon or somebody who's a specialised you know, um, professional. They're coming to us for one thing, they're coming to us for rapid results and we're there to provide it for them. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting because the more high profile people I meet too, you get that same feedback. Some are fanboying or fangirling over them all the time. It's like, that's hectic. And it's really hard for 
high profile people to know who to trust, who to be comfortable with. And that trust is vital probably with the relationships you have, especially when you're pushing them to the, to the edge. Well, that's it. And what people kind of don't think about is when they, when they come to train with us, there's an agreement. The agreement is um, it's minimum of eight weeks, normally minimum of 12 if possible. Um, and they're training with us five days a week. So we're seeing them every day. And we're seeing them when they're tired and cranky. Um, you know, Guy being a great example, when he started with us, recording a brand new album. Um, so he'd be like with his family all day, with his little boys and his wife. Then he would literally go into the studio at seven o'clock at night, come out at six o'clock in the morning, see the boys off to school, come and train. So we're seeing him at his lowest ever in regards to energy and that. Um, and you do things and say things and express things when you're in that state that you mm. wouldn't express with anybody else. So, you know, you need to make sure that they trust you in that regard. Um, and they need to trust you, obviously, because you're giving them guidance. It's, a, you know, it's an investment, time, money, effort um, to achieve something specific. They don't want to get 10 weeks down the track, 11 weeks down the track and go, well, you're not providing what I was after. Mm. Particularly if it's for a role in a movie or TV or a tour or whatever it might be, they've got a timeline. So if they don't trust in our ability to provide the service that they need or the, the um, knowledge that they need, then yeah, we're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Like with your military background, and all, does that play a big part in the way you train people up? Does that influence a lot Very of Very much. Um, you know, before I went into the military, I was an athlete. Um, I had some amazing coaches. I actually became a coach when I was 15 years old. Um, but, and I was exceptionally fit when I went into the military, um, particularly from a sort of cardio base, so I was a runner. Yeah. But I was amazed at how much more the trainers and my, you know, my platoon sergeants, etc., could get out of me physically due to discipline, teamwork, those sorts of elements. So. That's how I created original boot camp. You know, it was basically all the things that I felt were positive from what I experienced in the military and making it available to civilians. But it's still the way that I think now, like great example today. You know, if I say to you, you're doing something for 20 seconds and I count down the last five seconds and you stop on one, I'll start counting back up again. You know, and the other person in the room who didn't quit is now cursing them because they're doing it. But it's the mentality of, you know, like I say to people, you know, there's an expectation that you need to do what I tell you to do. You don't stop early. Mm. You know, if I said jump from this building to this building, you know, you wouldn't stop one inch short. You know, you always aim for your objectives. So I take a lot of that. Um, I was very lucky when I got out of the military that um, my wife, Emily, and I both spent about a decade working with elite special forces, special operations, SWAT teams all around the world. Mm -hmm. So again, we learned a lot from their trainers and my, they became my mentors. So I've stolen a whole lot of their ideas, um, brought it back to what I do. I'm always the first person to say who I stole the idea from yeah, because yeah. there's no, no better way to, to be around a mentor. But the military side's important. Discipline, um, focus and teamwork, you know, they're really important things. Mm. And I love that you and your wife are such a team, and yeah, you—it's it's actually really refreshing, man. Because it's unusual. It is. I—I I have a business, and until I had my second child recently, my first child actually changed a lot of dynamics with being able to work together. Yep. And we decided that you know I was going to work, and she wanted to be a mum, mm -hmm. which is really is the most important job in the world. It is. But it is. to work together, when you how many, how often are you together? So we literally would spend 98% of our time together. So from 4 a.m. or 4.30 when I wake her up, or when I get up at four, um, we teach boot camp together. Then we're in the studio here. The way we train clients, we train two clients at a time between the two of us. So they're working with both of us as coaches. Um, so the dynamic is also, A, we can completely read each other, bounce off each other, we respect each other's strengths. Yeah. Um, so she's the nutrition coach. That's completely her area. Um, I understand it because obviously I've learned so much from her. Um, then I do the programming, the physical side of it, and then we both coach together. So we literally 
do all that. And then we're both athletes and we both train together. Mm -hmm. um, and then we race together all around the world. So yeah, every part of our life is pretty much intertwined. I think it's a really good example for a lot of people to hear that and to see that. It's definitely not the most, it's simple but not easy. No, I mean, we're very, very lucky that, you know, we, we just, you know, understand each other perfectly, um, respect each other immensely and just, we do, we, you know, in our personal life, work-wise, we don't argue, we just, you know, we just sit down, we talk things about things from each other's point of view and make it happen. Mm. Um, we're opposites. I'm very much the creative side. She's very much make it happen. So I'll go, okay, here's my big picture. <laughs> and she'll go, okay, and here's how we're going to get there. Um, and that, that's fantastic for us. Yeah. What's your thoughts on people who have access, people have access to their phones and can look up a fitness regime. Mm -hmm. They can go to a personal trainer, yep. but they say things like, I lack motivation or I lack discipline or I lack these things. What do you have to say about those types of claims? Well, that's the thing is, um, that's kind of why, so we don't advertise our services. Um, you know, people kind of have to find us, like you found out today. Uh, there's no signage at all um, on the studio. Um, the idea is that if someone's found us and made the time to come and, and have an interview um, where we decide if we want to work with them and whether they fit into our culture here, um, it means they want it. Like you don't go through all those steps first um, if you're not dedicated to try and achieve something. Then again, as I said, we have basically a contract, an agreement that they will abide by um, in regards to how often they train, the nutrition they have to follow, um, when they're not with us, so if they're traveling, um, we, we have an online system, um, an app-based system where they have to follow the workouts while they're away, I can track what they're doing, what they're not doing. That's really important, that's a really important part of the process, that contract. It's not just a legally binding thing, but it's an accountability. Very, it's, and it's, that's the ultimate thing for a coach to gain success with any client in any industry um, is the accountability. Um, if you don't focus on that element, then and you can't get someone to commit to you in that way, then you're never gonna get to the goal. Yeah. Uh, it's just not gonna happen. Um, one of the benefits of working with high profile people is they normally are, as I said before, on a timeline. So there's something they're preparing for, whether it might be they're preparing for a cover, um, Sometimes you know, they are preparing for a cover specifically. Sometimes the cover comes purely based on people see them and go, oh my God, we want to tell your story. Um, again, movie roles, TV roles, where they have to play a very specific element. So our, our latest major transformation um, is an actor uh, named Uli Latakefu. Uh, um, keep that name uh, yeah. on mind. He's gonna be huge yeah. in the next 12 months. Um, he already is huge, he's six foot five man mountain. <laughs> but he was doing his first lead role in an action movie. Um, he'd done numerous action movies before, like Alien, um, Covenant, things like that, but always as one of the ensemble cast. Being the lead in an action movie, you sort of have to carry the movie. So he had a very specific period of time to prepare for it, um, aesthetically, to look a certain way, but then athletically as well, he had to be able to do all the stunts, um, all the fight scenes, and so he had to prepare him specifically to be able to walk into pre-production, go into his fight training and be able to do everything physically straight away. For how, and how, what's the small, small base, space of time then? That was basically eight weeks uh, to prepare him for that. Um, and in that, that case, again, the idea that um, his commitment was incredible, absolutely incredible, particularly because four of those weeks were away from us. He was already, he actually had to go to pre-production early. So he arrived there and just had to follow the workouts that I'd given him. We went over to visit him a couple of times to check that everything was fine. Um, and took him shopping to show him, like in New Zealand, what foods were relevant to, you know, you know, to what he was doing with his diet. Um, but that commitment, like, you know, to be able to just do it while he was on the move. Guy Sebastian, the same thing, you know, he's touring, just mm. does the workouts that provide for him. Um, you know, we've got an, another artist that um, your, uh, your viewers will, you know, see a lot more about in the future that um, he's always touring at the moment, like, you know, continually around the world. And so we only get to see him, you know, probably once every couple of weeks. Mm. But they've got the commitment. They, they're, they're the reason they're successful no matter what. Mm. Um, you know, whether it be as a high profile individual 
or as one of sort of the business leaders that we, we train. It's the same thing, you don't get there without commitment and discipline and mm. drive. Now they're just finding a new focus and new purpose to use those same skills and, and strengths. I often find that um, is the case. I, I recall a study done on rats back in the 1970s. They were testing the idea of motivation on a rat. And they basically put a mat in a maze and they put you know, food at the end of that maze and it will go through. But after a while, it will wane in the energy and the effort it will put in. So they put a little bit of cat waft at the beginning of the maze. There's a threat that was pushing them forward. Yep. And a goal that they were aiming for as well. And for some of these guys, you know, the goal is they want to look their absolute best or perform their best. Mm. And a big part of how we, we approach it is, it's not just about the aesthetic, it is about the athletic. You know, even if you're a singer, whether it's someone like Guy or Samantha Jade, who, you know, particularly someone like Sammy, who does a lot of choreography yeah. when she's performing, well, the fitter she is, the easier she breathes, the better she sings. Mm. Um, so that's why they want to achieve something. But also, you know, if they're doing something for a role, the last thing they want to be, you know, is judged. You know, oh, well, you know, you looked a bit soft for like that role or... So there is that little bit of fear factor in it for some of them as well. Yeah. Um, we try to get their mind away from that um, and think about the positive, but the reality is, um, you know, anyone in the public eye is going to be judged. Yes. And particularly, you know, actors, singers, etc. There's this perception of, of physically how they should look. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Guy spoke about that when he, um, the first time he was on Idol, sang, you know, people around him basically said, Literally, the moment he opened his mouth, we knew he'd won. Now we just had to fill out the rest of the TV show because this kid was so talented. But the very first thing that um, Dicko said to him was, you've got basically you know, the voice of an angel, amazing, but you look like a pile of shit. That's the only thing he remembers from that conversation. He doesn't remember the standing ovation from the judges and all the great things they said about his voice. That was the thing that he remembered. So we want to try and get them away from that and start thinking about how they can inspire other people and how they can obviously live a more inspirational life for you know, themselves, their kids, their partners, etc. Everyone has to have a level of resilience to be at the top, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I'm just thinking of Osher, right? Yep. Osher's journey was quite a, and he was on the show before with us on The Examined Life and um, speaks really fond of you. He's a great he's, bloke. Yeah, he's a great bloke. But, um, he battled a lot of challenges in the mind more than it was, and also yep. medically as well with things. Yeah, I mean, someone like, I mean, Austria is literally at the, the top end of the scale in regards to having to um, overcome obstacles. I mean, he was dealing with a whole lot of um, psychological issues. Um, you know, he'd coming off antipsychotics um, and all the elements involved in that from a uh, mental emotional mm. side but then also there having been on the antipsychotics for so long there are a lot of physiological issues that we had to try and overcome as well um then the fact that he's vegan uh, and well. that he is um clinically ocd so he you know for him to try and get his head around trusting someone who's not vegan so for him to be able to do his nutrition um where a lot of vegans have the idea that if you're not a vegan, you don't understand. Well, imagine the, the situation he was in. You know, he'd worked with vegan nutritionists before, and it's like, well, well why, how would him know how to do this? Mm -hmm. um, which he got around fantastically, and obviously achieved amazing results. Um, and it was an uphill battle the entire way, but you know, that's probably what I love about him, is the fact that despite all that, despite all the workload that he had on, um, you know, three, three different TV shows back then, now he's got four, mm. um, he just found the time, the commitment. He'd travel, like he'd be um, in Fiji filming uh, Bachelor in Paradise and just sending me videos of every one of his workouts right. so I could critique his form. Because mm. you know, for him, making sure he did everything right and also making sure he understood why he did every single thing we did with him um, was really important to him. Mm. But, you know, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's truly successful that doesn't deal with mental or emotional issues. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, yeah. Whether it's part of their original personality or their psyche, or it's a result of what they've had to do to achieve, you know, that, that success, you know, 
the time you give up, you know, the long hours, the, yeah. um, the fear of failure, uh, just, you know, there, there's so many things that will affect you. And some of the people that you think have just got it all down and uber successful, there's just this assumption that like everything in their life is easy. Yeah, that's why I, that's what I love to point out every time we meet someone who has a high profile in people's eyes is that um, people are human. People, we all know individually, we're deeply flawed and we're not perfect. And for some reason in our culture, where tall poppy syndrome exists, um, we like to think that you're not allowed to not have it together. Yeah. You have to be happy, cheap all the time. And, and particularly if, yeah. if you're successful or you know, people think wealthy you know, means success, what have, you, what have you got to complain about? Yeah, you know? and exactly. It's, like, yeah. it's not that they're complaining because those issues aren't a choice. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I just want to you know, bitch and moan about my situation. It's very rarely the situation that they're actually concerned about. It's just how they feel, mm. whether it's anxiety, depression, um, you know, so many things well, that we all just deal basic, with. Just basic things, like think about the most basic fundamental things that make you comfortable is, well, you've got your shelter, you've got food and stuff, which the high profile people can choose, but privacy, oh. circle of trust, you know, the ability to be able to do things with your children in public. Yes. To be left alone, like privacy becomes, um, where did that go a bit? <laughs> um, I often find that um, luxury is being undisturbed and unrushed. So, and you're, exa- and you're exactly right. So, um, for those that don't know what our studio is called, it, it's called the, the Squad Sweat and Social Club. Um, and one of the primary reasons we created was that it was a safe haven for people, not only when they're training, um, and you know they tend to socialise um, with the people that they're in the room with when they're training, but also, you know, we've got people who they might train you know, in the morning, they drop in two more times throughout the day just to sit on the couch and hang out and chat and talk to whoever else might be here. That's it, yeah. Often because whoever else is here understands that they can be themselves and talk and, and open themselves up to you know, um, open conversation without being judged. Yeah. One of the things that we do here um, is we do our Scots and Cigar Night. And basically we pull up a couple of couches in front of the roller door, um, put on great feed, particularly when Manu's cooking, the food's <laughs> incredible. Um, and the re- one of the reasons we do it, and the reason why it's so popular with our guys, um, if you can imagine, you know, my, you know, one of my best mates, Larry Emder, goes down to the local pub, he's having a beer, Mm-hmm. And someone takes a photo because everybody's, you know, phones yeah, a, a camera exactly. with yeah. his one eye half closed. Yeah. Photos next day all over the media. Larry Emder drunk in pub. Yeah. Um, and that's not even if someone recorded a conversation or so. In this room, they can sit here, and they've all got as much to lose as each other if anyone spoke out of turn. Mm. So they can just open up. And completely be themselves. Yeah. Um, we always talk about with, with high-profile clients. There's three personalities. There's a public personality. Mm-hmm. There's their professional personality with the people that they deal with every day. So it might be the production crew yep. or their band. But then there's themselves. Yeah. And we're lucky enough. We're, we're actually very um, honoured to, to to know that side of them. Mm. Um, but they very rarely have an opportunity to share that with anybody other than someone like us. That's good perspective. Whereas, yeah. you know, these guys can sit down, and girls as well, um, in the group, can sit down and have an open discussion mm. without ever worrying about someone seeing it in the wrong context, hearing it in the wrong context, anything like that. Yeah, that's what I mean by luxury. Mm. And that's what I mean by what you guys, I think, is are doing so well for this group of society. Like, these, these people influence a lot of of people as well, people groups. And I think it's really good perspective that for people to see this and hear this from us. We can take a short break, but when I come back, I wanna dive into why you do what you do. Why give a crap about doing this, right? I'm really fascinated by that, so we'll be right back. 2019 has been a crazy year and one of the most exciting new projects that I've begun is a company called Mentored Media in Sydney. Now we're a production company, a social media company, and we work with all types of businesses and individuals, like from celebrities 
Range Rover and Ford Motors and Rode microphones. And we work with small businesses all around Australia and we create the most amazing videos and content and graphics. And we also, most importantly, get the narrative right. We get the messaging right. The worst thing you can do with marketing is have a really bad message, a message that attracts the wrong type of customer to your business. Check us out on Instagram at Mentored Media and check out Mark Boris's playbook, which we filmed and produced for the man himself at mentored.com.au. And there's so many more great things to come. So give us an email directly, matt at mentoredmedia.com.au. Chief, I actually want to know why, why this matters to you. Like there's so many things we could be doing, right? There's, there's a lot of gifts you have. You got a lot, you're a smart guy, you're a hard worker. And if you apply those two things to something, a goal, mm. yeah, you can do, do a lot of things, but why this? Why not something else? I think when I first started coaching, and play, I mean, this story is one I've told all my clients previously, but when I was in the military, back in those days, in basic training, every soldier had to be able to do seven pull-ups. No matter what job you're going to do, you know, you're going to be a chef, you're going to be a driver, didn't matter. You had to be able to do seven pull-ups. Most guys can't do one pull-up. But if you're going into the military, a lot of these guys train up preparing themselves. And there was a guy that you know, I knew that was going through basic training at the same time as me, who, overweight guy, had never been athletic. He was going into a, a specific role where he didn't really need to be physical later on. Um, and he couldn't do one pull-up. Mm. So he was going to fail. Like in 12 weeks' time when he was marching out, well, he wouldn't march out. He'd fail basic training. So I worked with him you know, outside of his physical training to help him achieve that goal. And we got there, he ended up doing eight on his final assessment. Um, and I think I loved to see in him what could be achieved. Because the trainers that were there were like basically writing him off. You can't right. even do one. There's no way you're going to be able to do seven in like 12 weeks. Right. You know, come on, just do one. Like there was no science to... But you believed in him. And you I knew it and I believed in science that I'd, I'd already researched and we put it into place and, and it worked. And I, and I loved it. And I loved the elation that I got out of watching him get up there, do those pull-ups and, and achieve his goal. Right. Um, and then, you know, a little bit later on in my, in my military career, I started the boot camps and realized, you know, I was, I was training other soldiers and I was really loving seeing them achieve their goals, whether it be to apply for a specialist unit or whatever it might be. Then seeing it with civilians, the same thing. It's just a different goal. Mm. And, but primarily the same sort of motivations that were pushing them. Um, so I just found I, I loved the understanding of what people can achieve and what they think is beyond them. Mm -hmm. um, but then also the next thing was that I just loved the science of it. Yeah, right. Um, I, I, I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> um, Were you always obsessed with it? When did you first just yeah, get into it? I think, so, you know, at school I did, you know, physical education theory and uh, my father was, uh, was an amazing sportsman and, and an amazing coach. Mm -hmm. um, trained, like, you know, Australian cricketers and, and um, right. my sister, who was an educator, my sister was an ed or is an educator. She was an amazing coach as well, an athlete. So I kind of went down that path fairly early um, and I wanted to understand the body and what it could actually achieve. Mm. And then I just became obsessed with learning and, and you know, I, I think probably I was lucky enough at one stage, um, uh, as I got a little bit older, to travel with them all around the world, learning from the best minds in our industry and finding more and more science that was there um, from from unusual sort of circumstances, like yeah. you know, Olympic coaches make sense; they're at the top of their game. Um, but then dealing with someone who was a former strongman, um, self-coached, mm. you know, everyone's heard of battling ropes. Like mm. everyone's seen it. You know, the entire world's seen it. Um, very few people know that the guy who created it was a guy named John Brookfield, um, former world's strongest man. Basically, created it because when he retired couldn't go for a job because he'd blown out all his joints carrying cars for 10 years. Um, so he, he created this system out of, out of no, well, no, out of nowhere, but there was nothing like it yeah. in the industry. Right. So we, I learned from another one of my mentors. We were in Tennessee training at a SWAT training facility. Um, he goes, try this you know, workout with me. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, ex-military, I thought we'd done everything with ropes. 
who taught you this? He told me we drove straight to North Carolina and spent three days in John's garage becoming master trainers because to learn from someone who, who created something that is so unique, yeah. then to understand the science behind it as well, mm -hmm. then I had to come home and then share that what with other coaches or other clients. Out of all the things you've experienced, all the practices and models that you've read and you've obviously trialed, what, what are some of the, thing, the universal things you've found about the science that you've learned about the human body, about people, all people? Ultimately, um, a, a particular uh, theory that's called um, progressive overload, um, in simple means is, you know, if you don't challenge yourself, your body doesn't have to um, improve. Mm -hmm. you know, we, people say that the same all the time about um, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Yes. you know, and that, that's obviously you know, psychological as well as um, it is physiological. Yeah. But if you don't force your body to adapt, it'll just plateau. Right. And you, know, you have to keep either increasing the intensity, the duration, all the other elements of how you train to do, make your body do something that it hasn't done before. Mm. And then the way your body reacts to that is, I, damn, I better improve, because if he does that to me again, I've got to be in a better state to deal with it. Mm. Um, and that's just the single most underlying element. If you do not put your body in a situation where it, it's being tested, it's being challenged, it's not going to improve. There's no reason for it to improve. Yeah. And that's behind every part of science of training. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I think our, our society's conditioned now with a lot of jobs to sit for hours. Yeah. And then we often don't eat because we're hungry. We often eat because we're either dehydrated or we're bored or we've created some type of emotional connection to something. That's right. How would you suggest for people out there to break that? How do you break those types of things in your view? From the nutrition side, in, you know, again, it, it, Emily is the expert, but she's you know, taught me so much about the psychology of it as well. Um, you know, she's worked with a lot of people with eating disorders um, and, and overeating is an eating disorder, um, it, just as much as um, anorexia is or bulimia is. Um, it's just a, a poor relationship with food. Um, often brought on by other psychological elements. You need to find out why you eat the way you do now. Right. Um, understand whether, as you said, it's emotional eating, um, whether it's frustrated eating, whether it's bored eating. Or um, celebratory. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and the thing is, um, and some people reward themselves with food. Yeah. Um, just You need to understand that. Um, without that understanding, you can't really move forward. Mm. You might be able to go on a diet for a period of time, but it's never gonna last mm. because you're basically fighting your mind and your emotions the entire time. Whereas you wanna be embracing those elements to be able to help you make a, li a lifelong change that puts you in the right position. I'm sure you've worked with people all the time that have bad habits and they have to sacrifice it to be able to get to the goal that yep. you're trying to get to. So how, talk us, give us an example of someone that may, maybe just couldn't help eating chocolate at eight o'clock, you tell me. Like. There are so many. Um, so, uh, guys thing was um, soft drinks. Soft drinks. Um, yeah. Often just sitting in the studio um, and literally just having something there. Um, another friend of ours who was a music producer, he would work like an animal and then realize he hadn't eaten all day. Yeah. And it'd be like three o'clock in the morning, the studio is in the cross. So his assistant would just go and get him a kebab. Yeah. He'd just eat crap because he just needed to eat. Yeah. Um, and then he, he, came, he became accustomed to things. He became accustomed to salty foods um, or sweet foods or whatever it might be. Um, Manu, you know, he, he's a chef, you know. <laughs> he eats for a living and that's no joke. You know, when he's yes. on My Kitchen Rules, he actually has to eat the food. It's not, you know, play for camera. He has to try it, he has to judge it, he has to understand it. Um, and he also loves food. Like, it's his passion. It's why he, you know, he became a chef, is a passion for food. Um, so to try and get him to give up wine and cheese and things like that, um, actually, they're some of the biggest ones for most of our, our clients. Is, yeah, yeah. Um, Alcohol is probably one of the biggest ones. Yes. Um, because, yeah, you work long hours. Um, 
uh, Roger Corsa, you know, you're filming all day, you know, you're out in Mudgee in the sun, um, you know, it's dusty and hot, just like anyone who works out on, you know, on a farm or something, nothing better than a cold beer when you come in at the end of the day. Mm. But if you're doing that every single day, then that's a problem. Mm. Um, whereas now he's like, loves a beer, like, you know, we, we love a catch up and we'll have a drink, and, but it's a, something you can look forward to now as opposed to it's a habit. Yeah. Um, we're all the same. I'm the same. You know, um, I love love food. My wife and I, a big part of, of our relationship is we, we love to, to travel and try food and uh, from all around the world and I love great wine and things. Yeah. But, you know, if I'm being true to myself and looking after myself, I don't want to have a drink every night to help me sleep or something. I have a whole lot of issues with sleep. Um, you know, I don't want to use it as a crutch. I want to enjoy it. So a classic thing I do with people is, say someone drinks, and, and it's not that unusual, someone might drink half a bottle to a bottle of wine a night. Right. Without yeah. really thinking about it. A little bit with dinner, or maybe usually a little bit as soon as they get home. Yes. Reading the mail, reading the newspaper, whatever. Watching the movie, watching TV. Exactly right. Yep. Then some with dinner, and then they end up, oh, I'll finish that off before I go to bed. What I say to them is, okay, what do you spend on wine a week? And they'll tell me. I said, well, you, you obviously love good wine. I said, okay, go and spend 80% of that budget on one really great bottle of wine to have with your wife on Friday night. Right. Um, cool. And pick when you're going to have it. So for myself and family, we have two date nights or two, two date meals a week. You know, one's a lunch, one's a dinner. Um, so those two meals, eat what we want, drink what we want, but it's in advance. So it's not like, oh, you know, I'll have a drink this week. Oh, well, I might as well have it tonight. And then you end up going out for a function later in the week and, or you know, your, your mate comes over and wants to sit down and have a, a deep and meaningful and you're gonna you know, crack a beer or something. You wanna plan it out so you know in advance, these are the times I'm gonna have those things. They're gonna be a treat now. Right. They're not something I'm gonna take for granted and have every single day. Same thing with you know, types of food. Um, as you know, a Western society, we eat way too much carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, it's very interesting. Uh, people often say to me about um, Asian cultures, you know, why is it, you know, part of my, my family heritage is Chinese. Um, you, yeah, you tell me. You tell why, um, why is it that you go to these countries and they're not obese? Yes. And like, oh, I must just be, you know, their genetics. So, no, it's not their genetics. How do we go to Chinese, you know, in Australia? Big plate of fried rice, you know, dumplings, and Deep then we have this stuff. Yep, yeah, and this yep. tiny little bit of meat and vegetables. But if you go to traditional, most traditional Asian cultures, it's the meat, seafood, vegetables that are the majority of the meal, with a small amount of rice on the side, or a small amount of noodles on the side, or whatever it might be. Mm. We've just got it all backwards. Yeah. And so that's the same idea: is that if someone eats that way, and I was a carboholic like massively, being a distance runner growing up, yeah. two to three bowls of pasta at dinner as a kid, then I'd heat up another bowl in the morning for breakfast. <laughs> but I ended up hyperglycemic and almost um, ended up uh, diabetic because I just ate so much carbohydrate and drank so much fruit juice and did all these things when I could burn it off. Mm. But my body fought back against it. M actually got me now where if I had, like I would probably have a bowl of pasta once every two to three months. Yeah. And I used to eat it like every single day. Yeah. But now my body doesn't want it. I have it and I feel like I'm about to fall asleep and I feel bloated and I feel, you know, I feel better eating the foods that are better for me. Mm. So it's all about teaching your mind and your body just basically new habits. That's, that's the thing, you, you push everybody physically and there's a big part of that, obviously, with what we eat, nutrition-wise, and that's where the mind gets challenged as well in that realm of, one, understanding your habits, understanding your relationship with food, which is big importance. And knowing, once you recognize that, how the hell do you deal with it? Because yeah. some people want to fully just cut it off, cold turkey, like, oh, and that's really difficult to and do. And everyone's right? different, and you've got to be aware that some people that, so M's like, you know, she did this to me recently, because I hadn't been taking care of myself. I mean, every time I made a time to train during the day, I'd end up giving that time slot to a client who goes, oh, look, you know, I need to be um, on screen early. Can I come in and train early? And I give him my training spot. 
I went 18 months without training regularly. No right. more than like, not, if I was lucky to get twice a week. And I was, when I wasn't training, I wasn't eating properly and all these sorts of things. So she turned around and said, okay, I've signed us up for a race. I'm like, damn, I need to get back to race weight. I need to get fit again. Good. She yeah. is literally, and she's starting right now. Whereas I'm, I'm staying tomorrow. And I'll start the very next day, but I have to psychologically draw a line in the sand. She'll literally, that very minute, she's on. Some people, they actually need two steps. They need yeah. training first. Yeah. Don't even talk to them about the nutrition yet. So Em will literally not even talk about the nutrition program at all until mm -hmm. they've done a whole week of training, mm -hmm. got through that. We've shown them how mentally and emotionally strong they are. Then take on the food. Because mm. the food's a hard one because when they're here, they're with us. Yeah. When they're at home, they're not having us right there beside them. When they're out to dinner, to be in a nice restaurant or be at a function, everyone else is drinking champagne and then to ask for mineral water, that's discipline. Mm. But they've got to have that self-discipline. Whereas we can give them instilled discipline in this room. Yes. Self-discipline on their own, that's the hard part. Yeah, I want to go a bit deeper, man. What makes us truly valuable, you know, and a lot of this comes down to partly, well, we, part of our function as humans, we evolve to work and we, and it's important to love your work because you work a third of your life. It's very important. And, um, but that's just one part of you. Uh, it's one part of your value because if I was unable to do what I do for work tomorrow, would I still be me? Would you still be you? I would be in, in big part. What's your view on, what's your philosophy on, on value, on how you see people? Because you see, like that guy you saw back in the military, and people wrote him off. You saw something different. I want to know, what is that operating system? Do you still have that operating system? Obviously you do, you see yeah, more. I mean, and it's funny, so, you know, a lot of people kind of know us for the work we, we do with celebrities and things like that, and our, our personal coaching. Um, what most people probably don't know is that um, the reason I still get up at four o'clock every day um, is I go out and train, you know, sort of 40 to 80 everyday Aussies down on the beach or in the park doing boot camp every single morning. And I will do that till literally the day they have to wheel me onto the beach in a wheelchair. Um, and a lot of people say, why do you still do that? Like, you don't need to do that. You know, you've built a successful company. Um, you know, you're doing all this sort of work as well, the, per the personal coaching work. But I actually just love to understand why people are there, what they're trying to achieve, um, not just their motivation, but their story, as you said, um, and their true reason why. Yes. Um, you know, a classic one for me that, that I love, and I've seen it with pretty much, actually, every high-profile male celebrity that we train, um, is a big part of their motivation is their children. Mm. You know, um, men in, in Western culture, particularly in Australia, are having their first child later in life yeah. than they used to, um, and, and still having kids, you know, into their, you know, 50s, 60s, you know, uh, Emily's dad near 70s. Um, you know, you've got these guys realizing that when we were young and our kid, you know, our dad might come out and kick the football with us when we're like 15 and 16. Yeah, true. By the time their kids are 15 and 16, these guys are well into their 60s. Yeah, now, wow. they may not be athletes at that, at that age, but they want to be able to be a positive um, yeah, reflection on their kids by able to go out there and spend physical time with them, particularly now that so few of our kids actually do it on their own. Mm. Like, to be able to have any of our guys, you know, um, for, for Larry, you know, in his you know, mid-50s now, to say to his son, Jai, let's go for a surf. You know, just at the drop of a hat. And to see then to see that relationship, to see the time they spend together, um, and the respect that his son has for him for the fact he takes care of himself and what he's achieved, that's the really important elements that I think are, it's not about how you look, you know, that, that can, might be a driving force to some extent, particularly if it's a career-based element. Yes. But ultimately it's, how you can live your life better, whatever your life is. Mm. If you want to be you know, better on stage as a singer, that's great. If you run a multinational company like you know, one of our guys does, or a number of our guys do, 
um, and you want to do that to the best of your ability, you know, it might mean you have to be able to wake up at three in the morning and be able to just actually be coherent and then be able to go to work and run the day and then still have time to go home to your family and be a great dad. Mm. Then that's what's important. Whatever your life is, whatever you want to be doing with your life, our goal is just to help you do that better. Mm. You know, from the physical side, obviously, hopefully from a, a mental and emotional side too, but if we can physically prepare you just to live the life you want better, then we've done our job. That's it. How do we get through tough times? Um, How have you got I through ultimately, tough times? See, I ultimately, mean, I, you know, whether it's from you know, PTSD, um, you know, many years ago now, I broke my neck, which has left me with headaches 24 hours a day for the last, coming on to 19 years. Wow. Um, when I met him, um, I, you know, Three hours was a good night's sleep. Three days was often that I wouldn't sleep. Mm. Um, so what got me through those times were someone I cared about and cared about me, being Emily, but also friends I had, family, you know, my sister and my, my parents, um, and my sister very much now as well. It's, it's the people around you. Mm. Um, you've got to, Australian men, I've, I've spoken about this previously um, at, at different talks, Biggest problem for Australian men, women as well to some extent, is that we always have the perception that someone's got it worse than us. Mm -hmm. You know, in the military, I see it all the time. You know, a guy comes back with PTSD, a mate's got it worse, he didn't come back with his leg. Mate who lost his leg comes back, my other mate's got it worse, he didn't come back at all. It's this. Aussie male mentality of, well, I've got nothing to bitch and moan about. Why would, why would I express my feelings or tell people about my problems when this bloke's got it worse than me? Yeah. That's bullshit. Yes, it is. Every, everything that concerns us, worries us, upsets us, um, matters. Mm. You know, no more or less than anybody else. That's really good. And it doesn't, you can't even compare, you know, I have plenty of mates who've lost legs. They've said to me, you know, or limbs, um, have said to me that my situation's worse because I'll never get rid of this headache and it's there all the time. Whereas they've now gone to become successful athletes or returned to the military and mm. kind of almost excelled in life. Uh, Paul Gelder, who you, you have to meet, um, mm. lost an arm and a leg in a shark attack yeah. um, and has gone on to educate the world that we should be respecting sharks. You know, so... so People have, you would look at them and get feel sorry for them. It's not about that. Mm. It's not about pity. It's not about. It's about support. Yeah. If you see someone who might be struggling, you know, help them out. If you're the one struggling, don't ever feel that your problems aren't worth talking about. That is so true. What that does, it does a lot of damage because that means that it lessens all the experiences or the pain that you're going through. It's like, it doesn't give credit to that. It doesn't actually shed light on that. Therefore, they might think, oh, because you look at other people and they, and they may look, be worse than you, you should feel better. Yeah. So how does that work? This is, this it's, it's crazy moment. and we're all the same. Um, yep. you know, if, you, if you deal with anybody who suffers from depression, um, mm. it's one of the most common traits is that I don't have the right to be depressed. Yeah. You know, um, I've got an amazing family, I've got a great career, I've got, you know, I don't have the stress of um, being unemployed or, but it's not, it's chemical. Yes. You know, or it can be obviously emotional be, based be on experience. Yeah. Yes. But yes. it's not a choice. It's not even what's happening around you. It's not, often it's not your life that's the problem. But we all have this idea, and particularly those people who are struggling with depression, um, I have no right to be upset. What, why, why am I sad? Yeah. The thing is, you, it's not a choice. It's, yeah. no, it's something that you need to see a professional about. Yes. You need to talk to people who care about it, but never underestimate the benefit of speaking to a professional. Yeah, I 100% agree. We'll endorse that because um, one of our good friends is um, the top positive psychologist in this nation. and. Um, yeah, she's an ambassador for the Starlight Foundation. We just had, we just caught up recently, and she just echoes 
in my mind what she says is that um, it's important as humans to experience the full range of human emotions. And there's a lie out there, Chief, where we're sold through marketing and through just social media that emphasizes it too that you've got to be happy all the time yeah and if you're happy all the time you should be locked up seriously like something you, wrong. all the time you should be like it's like the joker you punch it, him in the face he laughs it, it's, it's funny it's it, literally it, exactly what i was thinking um <laughs> you know it, it's it's so true that you know you can't live your life in one mind space um and it's not that being sad uh or angry is negative yeah you know, totally. you need to have those feelings. If you yep. don't, again, you're probably a sociopath. Yes. You know, if, if you don't get angry or upset or jealous or, you know, you don't feel um, pain for other people, then there is a problem. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that people always show those emotions. And people often will judge, you know, someone based on the fact of, like, oh, you know, such and such died. Um, he stood up at the, at the funeral, spoke, you know, eloquently, didn't cry. That doesn't mean he's not dealing with it his own way. Yeah. Um, but if, if, you, if you are not feeling all of those emotions at some point, then you need to be worried about yourself. Absolutely. You need to start thinking that either, either possibly over-medicated, because that's the only time I've ever, unless you're, I've met sociopaths before, um, unless you're a sociopath, the only other time you would not be able to feel those emotions is if you're over-medicated. Yeah. And that's not a good place to be either. Well, we could, seriously, we should have a round two with this. There's so much we could dive into. We'll catch up again soon. But bro, thanks so much for your time. Awesome, mate. Appreciate it, man. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to Examine Life Podcast. Now, in a couple of episodes, I'm going to be releasing what I call an in-between episode. I'm going to borrow a page from Tim Ferriss. They say, in-between interviewing guests for the examine life i'm going to answer some questions from you and i'm going to use instagram as the platform to be able to get your questions about topics to discuss give us a direct message or email us and i'd love to hear your thoughts on what topics you'd like me to talk about they're going to be around roughly 20 minutes these podcast episodes the in-between episodes with myself and it just helps break away from the normal hour-ish long format of the examine life so make sure you head to my Instagram, Matt Purcell Official. Submit your question via a DM or when you see me do it on a story. And I look forward to seeing your question there. So thanks for listening. See you next time.